Hebrews 4:14 to 5:14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of God. For those of you who eat dessert, if you have dessert in the context of a meal, where in the order of the meal do you usually have dessert? Maybe some of you have been bold enough to have a piece of cake instead of dinner, but if you're having cake or ice cream or something sweet with dinner, where does it come? Odds are very few of us break the pattern of having it at the end. You could begin with it. You could have it somewhere in the middle. Why is it that we have dessert at the end of a meal? And I don't No, I suspect there could be some biological reasons for why, uh, in terms of how the body processes and experiences salt, fat, and sugar, that that ending a meal with something sweet is particularly appropriate. I suspect, though, at least one reason that we have dessert at the end of a meal is because of a mindset that that most of us develop or are shaped by, which which is that you earn a reward. And if you can eat the vegetables that maybe you don't want, but you need to eat, uh, the payoff will be the dessert that you get at the end. And it's not that that's entirely problematic as a mindset, but, but it's interesting how much that mindset is woven into the patterns of life. Uh, we work for a reward. I have a friend who was self-employed and uh, his deadlines were every three to six months in the particular projects that he did. And he found himself daily unmotivated. He did not want to work. He showed up every day fighting the desire to just not do anything. But he he knew a few months out that that would be disastrous. And so he shared with me that he needed to work in a, systems of re- a system of rewards in order to keep him incentivized to do the work that he needed to do. Uh, and this is a guy who was actually 
quite accomplished. So he's not lazy. He's somebody that's accomplished a lot in life, but day by day, without a reward, he didn't have motivation. Now, that's not entirely bad to work for an outcome or for a payoff to be goal, to have that goal mindset is not necessarily a problem. But, but we have that mindset as a fundamental paradigm that informs everything. And we don't always question it. And therefore, with something like Christianity, you, some of you grew up in the church or had been a Christian a long time. And despite what may have been taught, somehow you filtered everything through a paradigm that said you need to make sacrifices for a reward. And therefore, something like obedience plays a role in a Christian life where you do the things that you don't want to do in order to, to please God for some reward. And what is that reward? It could be you're the kind of person that wants to be uh, appreciated. And so for God to like you and to be satisfied with you, if you do those things, the reward will be that. Or maybe God has something that you want him to give you, whether it's in this world or the next. And so the idea is, well, I'll do these things for a reward. Uh, and the topic of obedience then becomes a bit difficult um, for those of you who are Christian, where you may go through phases of burning out, of feeling like it's trudgery of all this stuff that you need to do for whatever the outcome that you desire is, for God to like you, for you to have confidence that you could face death. Uh, obedience winds up becoming an area that, that can be difficult. And if you're not a Christian, the concept of obedience, maybe if you don't have a problem with it, it's because you just accept it as the terms of the religious game. Of course, obedience would be required because that's how the world works. You have to make your sacrifices to get your reward. Um, but for some of you, obedience is a put off. You know, Jesus talks about if you follow him, you'll find freedom. And then you hear, well, these are my commands, keep them. And it sounds like a trick. <laughs> It sounds like it's not actually freedom. It sounds like it's, it's, it's authoritarian. We're, we're promising you something we're not going to deliver, but we're going to make you conform. And so the topic of obedience is one that, that as we mature in the faith, we realize um, obedience is a very healthy thing. The problem is all of us are in process and obedience as a word may may right away um, make you anxious, make you frustrated, make you concerned. You know, why is it that the, the first Sunday of 2022, we're going to talk about obedience? Well, I think one of the reasons that I want to talk about that is because we're coming into this year. And if you learn the lessons from coming into 2021, where there was this sigh of relief of thank goodness that 2020 is over and 2021 is going to be so much different and so much better. And now perhaps we're coming into 2022 not wanting to confidently have those assertions. And I don't want you to manage your expectations of failure so much that you're not hopeful for this year. This year could be a great year. What do I know? But this year, like every other year, is going to have challenges. Every year has challenges. This year may have more challenges than the previous year or not. I don't know. But if you're coming in with the naive optimism that will wear off two weeks into January, that's not going to do you any good. What I want to talk about today is something a little bit, maybe less exciting, but I think more sustaining, which is let's go into 2022 holding fast to doing what's good. Um, even if it doesn't work, even if it's not exciting, but with the belief that if we want 2022 to be a good year, just being diligent with the basics actually um, 
is a is a helpful helpful way to enter. So in in chapter four, verse fourteen of the passage that was read, where there's this idea that well, let us hold fast to our confession. What are the things we believe? Well, let's hold to them. Let's live consistently with them. So obedience is not the first and foremost thing. It's what what do we believe? Is God good? All of these things. But at the end of the day, in those tensions of what do I want to do or not want to do. Uh, sometimes we just have to to learn the right thing and 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 to do it. And so in in chapter five, verse twelve, towards the end of the reading, it says, "By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles." And he, he then talks about milk and solid food. And and if you look at the, the the book of Hebrews, it seems to be written with a with a at least one kind of audience in view. And if you read the whole book it seems like it's written to Christians who started strongly, who were faithful, who were excited, who were vibrant, but started to just get worn down and maybe, maybe less proactive, less excited, maybe a little bit compromised, a little bit lazy. And, and, and the letter of Hebrews is saying there's warnings in it. There's encouragement in it. There's this deep theology to, to give a framework, but the basic idea is don't, don't wander away. Don't stop and get stuck where you are. Don't give up, but actually, you know, re-engage. And that's hard at this time. 2022, it's going to be hard to enthusiastically be engaged. And so, look, we don't need to work ourselves up emotionally, but, but we can't get stuck. We can't give up hope. And so the reason I want to talk about obedience is because I think if we just learn you know, what is it that God and his goodness has for us and do it? We'll find that actually, uh, that actually gives us the energy, the hope, the optimism in our learning and in our doing. So I want to talk about three aspects of obedience today, learning obedience, practicing obedience, and then benefiting from obedience. So I'm going to begin with learning obedience. Christianity has this, this uh, concept called discipleship, which is that everyone, every Christian is a learner. Um, there are things we don't know, and we have a lot to study. We have a lot to practice. We have a lot to try. And, and that's a helpful framework because people who are learning um, fail. They make mistakes. And if, the, uh, if your mindset is, I need to be perfect to get a reward, then there's no room for failure. But if your mindset is that you're here to learn, to grow, then you could be the imperfect person you currently are, but be better. And so there's this idea that we are to learn. You know, in verse eight of chapter five, speaking of Jesus, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. And on the one hand, Christmas is quite simple this person, Jesus, was born. Let's celebrate that. Look at what he did. Look at who he was. And, and, and there's a simplicity to the story of, of the promises and his fulfillment. Um, but Hebrews talks about those who, who should be maturing. <laughs> um, there's deep theology that, that, that once you start to say, but who was this person who came, for example? So we celebrate Christmas. Well, he was the son of God, but he was a human being. Well, wait a second. How does that work? All of a sudden, you realize there are profound mysteries here to grasp. Who was this person? Um, he was a son, the son of God, but he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
That right there is a lot to take in. And so there's Jesus, like any other child who was, when he was born, didn't have language. And so he needed to learn to speak. But we, we think of, of, the, of God being omniscient. And so surely Jesus must know everything, must know all the things we don't know. And yet there's something about his humanity that he too needed to learn. That's actually important, um, but a hard thing to grasp. And he learned obedience. So he also needed to, to trust. He needed some outward guidelines and he learned it through what he suffered. And so that's remarkable that, that suffering played a pedagogical role in Jesus's learning. And, and if we are to be learners, if we're to be disciples, one of the, the means of learning is, is in the context of suffering. So would we say God's purpose in suffering is that we would learn, well, not if by that you mean, here's the explanation of why there's evil in the world. We don't necessarily need to answer that question to, to be able to say, well, God is doing this terrible thing in my life in order to teach me something. Maybe we don't know why something terrible is happening in your life, but what's the opportunity in it? The opportunity is always to learn. And so it's not that we could say, well, evil is good because I'll get to learn. You could say, well, the evil and the suffering in my life is terrible. I wish it wasn't there, but if it's gonna be there, I'm now being challenged to face it. Who am I and how will I respond to this hard situation? And that will be an area of temptation. I'm going to want to do things that I shouldn't do, that I know I shouldn't do. I'm going to want to resent God, people, myself, my circumstances. Hard circumstances are areas of temptation. And, and one of the ways we get through it requires a commitment to doing what's right, to not giving in to the challenges there. So. Jesus in chapter four, verse 15, it was read. Uh, he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so, so how does that work? That, that, that's a deep question there. That, that for us, because all of us are sinful, temptation easily overcomes us. Um, but Jesus, he faced various temptations, including the temptations that come with suffering, the temptation to despair, to give up hope, to, to, to mistrust his father, these various things that, that any of us would have an inclination towards. It says Jesus in every respect was tempted as we are. So he was tempted with, with things that would have been enticing and appealing, that would have been problematic as we are. But he was also tempted through what he suffered, but he was without sin. And so he learned obedience. And there's something there uh, that we recognize uh, human beings, on the one hand, we're so easily enticed by things we desire. And the way temptation in that form comes to us is, is here's a, we're going to distort the proportions here. Here's something that's going to be presented as so good. And we're going to minimize the problematic outcomes and the damage so that you're not going to care about them. <laughs> um, that's one form of temptation. And perhaps the one that we think most frequently about the things that we know are wrong, but, uh, but we want them anyway. And, and then we're hoping that we could sort of through, through deception or lies or through control, minimize the damage, but we're just willing to take some damage because we want that thing, even if it's wrong. And of course, wisdom over time, you learn the, the reason obedience makes sense is you start to learn, actually the damage is never minimized. It's always, the pleasure is always fleeting, but the damage is always there. And so with maturity, you realize not to fall into that trap persistently. But a harder area of temptation is going through periods of difficulty. So take, for example, uh, torture as, as a means 
so if you think like in our own context, the American context, Guantanamo Bay, a detention center, all these reports of torture. Now, on the one hand, um, if it wasn't for how we conceive of things ethically, torture makes total sense. We want information from someone and they don't want to give it to us. So you inflict pain because we know human beings so hate being in a position of pain that we will compromise our values and our commitments. And so, so torture is something that's effective. If, if the only ethical principle was pragmatic of getting what we want, torture makes total sense. Of course, the reality is, as human beings, we have higher concerns. And so therefore, we can say, even if we know this person has information and we want it, is it right? to actually subject somebody to it. That's the complexity now that we have to face in this world, this complex world. But at the end of the day, if you make someone suffer, that's a, an easy way to coerce and control someone. And so, so in our weakness, here's Jesus who was tempted in every way. He suffered in terrible ways and yet remained without sin. That's not true of any of the rest of us. Most of us, whatever our ethical positions are, if you, if you press us enough, we compromise, we give in. But those are areas where we need to learn because when we suffer, when we face challenges, difficulties in whatever form they come, we will be forced to confront our own resentments, our own anger, our own selfishness, our own whatever it is. Those are areas where we will be tempted. Are we learners? One of the things you need is to learn obedience, to, to learn in those situations that no matter how much it seems like I should do this thing that I know I shouldn't, but I just have no energy left to resist it. Part of maturing is going into those situations where you can say, you know, I'm going to endure more and, and continue to do the right thing. So in verse seven of chapter five, speaking of Jesus, it says, in the days of his flesh, so they're the human being like us, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with a loud cries, and tears. So, you know, you don't as a Christian just say, well, for Jesus, it was easy not to sin. He was a human being as we are. He did not have, he did not hold on to his omniscience or or, uh, a lot of these other attributes of God, but, but humbling himself, he didn't take advantage of them, but he became like we are. And in that he suffered. Um, and, and so, so as you face suffering on the topic of obedience, the reason I'm talking about learning is the reality is you are already obedient, but the question is to who or to what Christian discipleship is an intentional learning to trust God, his goodness, the rightness of his, his ways and his wisdom. So that through obedience, we, we gain maturity. We learn. So here I'm saying you're already obedient to something. Um, we have to navigate the difficulties of this world with some principles. And, and, and what is it? So, so one principle is to trust the expert, right? Well, you learn not to trust yourself. So the doctor says, this doesn't make any sense to you, but you need to have surgery. Well, I don't want surgery, but you know, despite the fact that I don't want it, if you're the expert and you say that I need it, I will subject it. So I, you know, my gut is don't do this, <laughs> but you trust the expert. Well, trusting the expert is good, but there's been enough indications in the world that people claim expertise or power and authority, and they use it to manipulate and control. And so, so today in our day and age, there's a big pushback on trusting your instinct because we know that a lot of people will use manipulation to make you think that your instincts are wrong. 
And so on the one hand, it's good not to be arrogant and self-confident and to trust others, to trust the expert. But there's been enough corrupt people presenting themselves as experts, whether, whether it's big in the world or whether it's interpersonally, that now there's been a pushback to say, well, be careful of people telling you to obey. If somebody says, don't trust your instinct, you must be wrong. Why are you so sensitive? Why are you spinning this the wrong way? Now we're trying to have people to say, well, but at a certain point, you need to trust yourself. You need to trust your instinct. But of course, that becomes pro- problematic if, if, you know, how confident are you that you know everything? So if you're only trusting your gut, how often will you be wrong? And so do you always trust your gut? Do you always trust the person with authority? And then some of us lean back on a system, some, something like a body of teaching, some principles. Um, and somewhere in that matrix, most of us are, are obedient. We default to something. Either I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to trust my gut. I'm going to do whatever it is I want. And, and that's a form of obedience that we're warned against in the Bible, that your heart is not so trustworthy that you could always do what you desire. On the other hand, we are told we live in a complex world. There are some experts that you should listen to. And there are some people that present themselves as experts that you shouldn't listen to. So you need to be discerning. And then there are systems of teaching that, that have principles that you need to learn to apply. But sometimes the situation is complex enough that so you can do a lot of medical research and then you go to your doctor and your doctor, who's the expert, disagrees with you and your medical research. And so sometimes you have to realize, well, I've learned these principles, but, but I don't have the expertise. And so in this case, I need to listen to the expert. Part of our immaturity is we are not prepared to deal with the complexity of the world, the challenges of the world. And so we default to some, we're obedient to some principle, something that we've learned, or, or we default to just trusting the expert, or we default to going with our gut. Part of Christian maturity of walking with Christ is where he brings redemption and renewal in all of these areas. So he puts a spirit in you. So, so over time, you, you dis, you'll learn through practice to discern how much of this is just my desire and how much of this is my desire for good. You know, at the end of the day, you can trust yourself without being arrogant. So you know that you can be wrong. So it's not that you're always right, but you could be confident sometimes to trust yourself against somebody who's wrong. But you could also be discerning. Sometimes an expert insists on something and you're not sure it makes sense, but, but God gives you uh, wisdom. He restores your, your trust. And so sometimes you're able to allow a leader to lead. But you need to be wise enough sometimes to not believe every claim of every leader. And similar with a body of teaching, Jesus will be your instructor. And so sometimes that is the framework that will keep you. And so anyway, the, uh, the reason I'm talking about, um, I'm giving you this matrix here is to say the topic of obedience is, is more complex and you're already obedient to something. But in our immaturity, we, we don't necessarily know what it is or we know what it is, but it doesn't apply to every situation. Part of Christian discipleship, of learning of Jesus, learning of his ways, of walking with him, of trusting him, of returning to him, especially in hard situations, is because his goal is to mature you, to grow you. And part of that growth is obedience is not just bare rules that you need to keep because God is an authoritarian. But if God is wise and God loves you, over time, as you gain confidence in that, you'll learn that obedience is a tool that will help you. So uh, that's where I wanted to begin with learning obedience, that, that as you face life as a learner, And as you're listening to God, as you're allowing Jesus to go before you, as you're seeking God in prayer, as you're reading the Bible, as you go to the Christian community to work out questions and decisions that you need to be making, as you mature, 
um, you grow in discernment. So that's the next thing that I want to talk about is practicing obedience. So it's the second thing. We practice obedience, which means that we don't just learn the principles, we don't just learn the rules, but, but we need to live them. And that's actually how we mature, how we grow in discernment. So uh, in verse 14, at, towards the end of the reading, speaking of the mature, it says, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There's a training that happens, and the training happens as you live your life. And so there's theology, and there's ideas, and there's content, and there's knowledge that we need to learn. You can't just go out into the world and act with good, sincere intentions. You need to be grounded. But you also can't stay in your study with your books in front of you and keep thinking about things. You need to take what you're thinking and go out and live it and embody it. And it's that that sense of gaining wisdom where there's knowledge and there's practice and there's an orientation to the world, the constant practice is what trains you, what causes maturity. And some people, we just give up on, we think we know enough and we're just tired of, of going back to the Bible and then we're not going to mature. Or there's some people that want to live a safe enough life that you don't, you don't take the risks to go out and to, to be faithful and to be bold and to be obedient and therefore you don't mature. But there's this coherent life of, of listening to Jesus and to following him and to engaging life that then through constant practice, it says you learn to distinguish good and evil. Good and evil, um, the world is intermixed with good and evil. We want what's good. We want to avoid what's evil. That's largely what obedience is about. The problem is they're so intermingled, we sometimes lack the discernment. When it's 100% good and 0% evil, or 100% evil and 0% good, then it's easy. But when it's 60-40 or any kind of combination, um, how do we navigate that? It's through constant practice that we're trained to discern what is good, and then to gain the confidence to take hold of it and to resist what we know will harm us. That's what maturity looks like. Some years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Outliers, and he had this principle um, where in trying to make a case that, that complex tasks require a lot of practice, he had this, this idea of 10,000 hours, just like we say now to be healthy, you need to take 10,000 steps, 10,000. It's not a completely arbitrary number, but it's arbitrary enough that, uh, yeah, you know, if you take 7,000 steps or 14,000 steps, you know, 10,000 is not the magic number. I think what Malcolm Gladwell was talking about with this 10,000 hours I think he was just trying to, I don't know, I'm, I don't know exactly what he was trying to say, but I think his takeaway is uh, you may think that, that certain people are natural at things and, and certain people are not natural at things, and that's true. But real expertise at something difficult, even if somebody's a natural, it comes with hard work. And what he's trying to say is you could be a natural, and if you don't put in the work, you'll never get good. And, and if you're not a natural, but you do put in the work, you can get good. And so maybe the 10,000 hours is off, something complex like chess or, you know, surgery, or playing the violin, or, or any task that, that you can't just pick up and do with energy and enthusiasm. Maybe if you have natural talent, you can master it in 6,000 hours, and if you don't have natural talent, you'll never master it, but with 14,000 hours, you're really good. We don't have to get bogged down in, in the details, but I think his point, which is for complex tasks, you need to constantly work at it. And there's a simplicity to Christianity that which we should never stray from the basics. We should constantly return to the basics and not make Christianity more complex than it should be. Jesus says a child 
can understand and follow. But there's that constant going back into the world that, that we are trained by the constant practice. And as we mature, we start to, we should 10 years into the Christian life, have a clearer sense of what's evil and what's good than we did when we began. And it's that constant practice. And in verse 11, he writes and he says to them, it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's writing to Christians that were once vibrant and enthusiastic, but, but the roots didn't go so deep that they were strengthened. But they're starting to tire and they're starting to give up. And, and in the dullness of hearing, you know, the natural thing to us is not to say, well, maybe I wasn't faithful, but you start to say, oh, maybe God isn't real. And often the doubts that we have, God doesn't seem real to me. Maybe God's not trustworthy. Look, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is, well, if you look at your life and if there's a consistent pattern of disobedience, of course, God doesn't feel real to you because you haven't been learning his trustworthiness because you haven't been trusting him. And so he says some of these deeper things that you should be maturing into, um, distinguishing good from evil, this deep theology of the book of Hebrews, a really hard book to get your, your head around. He says, it's hard to explain these things because you've become dull of hearing. And it's that dullness I think we need to give some thought to. Because this last year, um, a lot of us are tired, we're worn down, we're wanting to give up. And some of that is for very understandable reasons. God has made the world to function in a certain way. We're meant to be able to get together and have a meal with people and, and process life and encourage one another. And without some of those resources, we're just tiring, we're losing energy, we're losing steam. But part of it is also our spiritual immaturity is being exposed. You know, some of the excuses we have for why we don't read the Bible and why we don't pray, they've been taken from us. And now we find that we just don't want to because we're dull. <laughs> The Bible's, the Bible's boring. That's why we don't want to read it a lot. It's not that I don't have time to it. It's just when I read it, there's just more exciting things to read. But maturity, um, you start to realize that, that when the Bible seems boring, it's important, so you still do it. And then as you're going out in constant practice, the Bible can return to life and become life-giving. The reason I want to talk about obedience today is because the basic things we know the basic things of what we're supposed to be doing. But if we're not doing them, we're not ready for the complex things we, we are supposed to be doing. And so what's been exposed in this last year is our dullness, our spiritual immaturity. If the goal is to be perfect so God will reward us, that's terrifying. But if the goal is to learn and to grow, it's an invitation back to further engagement. 2022, we don't have to stay on our couch and do the easy thing, but we can we can get back out there. We can test the word of God in our lives. We can trust him and, and be courageous and, and we can fail and, and return. And therefore, the, the learning pattern, Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, he says, those who hear my words and do them are like the wise. That's the pattern. Let's hear what Jesus has to say and let's do it. For Christians, that's a weekly pattern. We come to church on the first day of the week. We gather. And we do a number of things, but we devote a lot of time to opening the Bible and to trying to understand it. And then at the end of the service, we say, let us go forth to serve the world. And then we go out 
And we spend six days trying to live it, trying to do it, trying to engage the world with all of its complexity, with all of its difficulty, but to say, but I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to believe that good could happen. And we fail or we get discouraged or whatever the case is, and we come back. (laughs) And then we open up the Bible again and we listen. And that pattern is a pattern for maturity. So we're listening and we're doing. But note the other things that we do. Why do we also sing and worship? Because we're not just here to learn the rules that God requires, but, but we're here to remember God's goodness and wisdom. And we need that. Why do we confess as a church every week? Because by the time Sunday comes, all of us have failed in some degree. Maybe it's small. Maybe just your thought world was not as restrained as it should have been. But often there are those major failings. Are we learning people? Are we going to come back and say, Lord, I don't know what happened. You know, why this stupid thing again? But the nature of temptation is always to separate us out, to keep us from returning. The fundamental of obedience is don't stray from God. But if you do return, that's the message of this passage. That's the message of Hebrews. Don't walk away. Return to God. That's our pattern. We, we come to listen to God for guidance. We go into the world and we seek to live that out. And sometimes it, it's, it's wonderful when we return and we give thanks and we celebrate. Sometimes we come back and we say, Lord, what happened? <laughs> Forgive me or help me. Uh, it's that pattern that over the years, as we continue to engage, let's keep listening, let's keep living, causes maturity. And so in 2022, let's keep listening, let's keep acting, um, and let's keep learning. And so we practice So we learn obedience, we practice obedience, but here's the last thing, we benefit from obedience. So again, in our immaturity, the concept of obedience sounds dreadful. Uh, What are these dumb rules? Here's the the things that God is going to keep me from doing the things that I want. As you mature, you realize I wanted the wrong things. God is wise. And you learn to love and delight in God's ways, but we never arrive. The world is too complex. We continue to get confused. We continue to struggle. We continue to fail. We need to understand the benefits of obedience. So is obedience beneficial? And the answer is yes, Um, but not blind obedience, not just keeping the rules because you've been told to, but understanding it's through the relationship of of who it is we're obeying. And so let me return to verse seven of chapter five. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus's obedience has as a foundation, he's offering prayers with his cries and tears in his suffering. He returns to the father who is able to save him. That's the confidence. God, you are good. You are powerful. You're able to do this. He was able to save him from death. And it said he was heard. (laughs) Hebrews is filled with a lot of hard issues. So what happened? Did did God hear him or did God not? It said he heard him. Did God save him from death or did he not? And so here's this complex thing. What happened to Jesus? Jesus, with a loud cries and tears, sought the one who was able to save him from death, and the father heard him. And and, and here's the, the complex but profound thing that's a lot to take in, but is essential. On the one hand, Jesus was not spared death. So so did the father hear him? The father heard his cries, that's what it says, but did not spare him from death. Why? 
here's the question, do we benefit from obedience? And the gospel, the Christian answer is you do, but it will never be from your own. Because we are tempted, but we do sin. This idea that if we do enough good to cover the wrong we've done, then God will pay us is an entirely wrong way of thinking. Would God reward our obedience? Well, God desires, delights in our obedience, but we don't earn his favor. But do we benefit from obedience? We're told that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. When Jesus prayed with tears and cries to him who is able to save him from death, why did God not spare him death? Well, there's a phrase in our circles that we use because Jesus lived the life we should have lived, but he died the death we should have died. He was tempted, but, without, but was without sin. He uniquely was able to face death in order to bring a satisfaction, in order to bring the making of things right. So that through his death, through his obedience, and his suffering, our punishment, our penalty for our disobedience, we receive life from him. He was not spared death, but was he saved from death? And I think the answer is he was. He was not spared death, the thing that we dread. But for two nights, he was in the tomb. But on the third day, the one who heard his cries saved him from death. Jesus, the human being, who died, like all of us will one day die, was delivered from, not simply, not from facing death, from being defeated, from being conquered by death. And this is where it's so much more profound. He was not spared death because the suffering that he faced was for us. It was his love. His obedience was an obedience that saves us. But his obedience saves us because the Father heard him delivering him from death. And through our connection with him, now we too are delivered, not just from sin, not just from the penalty of sin, but also from death itself. And so we benefit from obedience. We benefit from the obedience of Christ, who is faithful for us. And verse nine of chapter five says, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, there's a change now. Obedience is no longer the rules of how you earn God's favor, of how God will bless you. But salvation comes to us through his perfect obedience. Now, what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? His flaws were dealt with? No, he was tempted but was without sin. Jesus had no flaws. His imperfections were not the things that were wrong with him. It was that he came to fullness. He grew into perfection, that he faced suffering, but he faced ultimate suffering. He was righteous all along, but there was that ultimate righteousness that he loved in a way that no one has ever loved. It's only the love of God in him that he being made perfect, being bringing all things to completion becomes the source of salvation. And so then for those of us who understand the love, the mercy of God, then we obey him, not because we earn his favor, but why would we not listen to him? whose perfections are so inspiring? Who is it that faces such suffering and yet gives himself for others? Isn't that the kind of expert, the kind of teacher we want to listen to, the one that we can trust? Who is it that gives us what we don't deserve, that he suffers our death? Who is it that blesses us, though we were not obedient? 
he gives us a new chance to understand this is not about keeping rules and earning God's favor, but it's about understanding that because of his grace, he calls us to a better way of life. So we trust him more than we trust ourselves or the gurus or the leaders of our world or the systems. But we say in all things, Christ in me, Christ, my teacher, Christ, the one who will be my, um, my Lord. All of these things we realize if he has loved us, if he is trustworthy, then obedience is not what he requires of us in some slavish way, but obedience is what a loving teacher wants for the one who would make a mess of their own lives. And it's that confidence that we have in him that makes following him wise, joyful, rewarding, not easy, but rewarding. And so, you know, any complex task, tennis, tennis looks so easy. I'm one of those guys that's constantly hitting the ball over the fence. (laughs) To refine that skill, to be able to control that ball, you know, great tennis people wind up getting coaches. Why do you need a coach? You know, you're the one who's winning the matches and your coach is just telling people what to do. Well, when you trust the coach, if if the coach has a track record, then when the coach corrects you, you're not offended by it. If your goal is to impress your coach, you're offended. But if your goal is to learn, then when your coach says, no, you need to do things differently, you don't walk away. Who is he to tell me what to do? You want him in your life because you believe that he will make you better. It's that kind of relationship that changes, that Jesus is not just some authoritarian out there, but but Jesus is wise. Jesus gave himself for us. If Jesus corrects me, I don't need to leave in shame. But if my goal is to learn, I could draw near and say, Jesus, show me, <laughs> show me a better way and let me try it. Let me go out and let me do it. And let me come back and, and point it out again until I get it right. I'm going to keep working on it. That's the life of faith. So verse 15, something that I don't have, have time to get into this deep, profound theology of this high priest, but Verse 15, he says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. So, so you know, just briefly in the, in the Bible, we have these priests who offer sacrifices and the the writer of Hebrews says, look, they were always pedagogical. Killing a lamb never really dealt with your sin, but it was to point to a greater reality. But now we have Jesus who's, who's like the highest of the priests, Uh, the high priest in the old system once a year would offer sacrifice. He's saying all of this is to point us to what God would some someday do. There's a lot you could read on that if you really want to understand the book of Hebrews. But for now, what he's, he's using that language and imagery to say, Jesus did something for you that makes sense. If you understand a certain context of how, how God has, has been shaping us to think he's the high priest. He's, he's the one who offered himself on your behalf. And he did it in such a way that it was through loud cries, through tears, through suffering, through facing death, that he is now able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Temptation will always draw you away from God in some way. And when we give in to sin, then the temptation doubles down. Don't return. It's going to be humiliating. He's going to be angry. He's going to punish you. And the Bible gives a very different picture. You don't earn God's favor. It's grace. And so don't sin. And if you do sin, stop immediately, but go back. Why? Because we have a high priest, somebody who gave himself for you, who alone can sympathize with us in our weakness. That's the the trap of the temptation, the isolation of sin, whether it's our sin, I'm ashamed to admit it, so I'm just going to hide from people, or the sins of the corrupt world that leave us thinking, I'm alone, nobody understands, I can't tell anyone. And so we wind up isolated thinking there's nobody. And we need to learn 
the vulnerability of risk to very carefully share appropriately with certain people, not to give into temptation. But there is a resource we have in Christ alone, the unique high priest. There's one person who is so trustworthy that no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you've done, whatever you've seen, whatever you've experienced, there's one you can go to. And it says, but we have a high priest who is, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have somebody who sees, who cares, who has joined with you in hurt and suffering. And he says, come. And, and, and that is what is utterly unique. When you grasp that, that there's someone who sees, somebody who cares, who knows my weakness, and he says to come back, and he's made it possible, and he gives that to me, and he, he did it through obedience. He lived perfectly where I failed. He brought justice where the world has been corrupt. He suffered death where all of us will one day face death, but he was saved from death so that we ourselves can be saved through his grace. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I hope 2022 is your best year yet, but no matter how good it is, you're a human being in this world, you are going to have times of need. What we're told is to confidently draw near to God. That's what maturity is about. Should I go? Should I admit this? Is he trustworthy? Maturity is go as quickly as you can because we have a high priest who is able to sympathize and he is the source of salvation and he has mercy and grace. Come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. That's the Christian dynamic. True obedience doesn't come from a slavish command, but from, from the love and trust of Christ to say, he is wise, he is looking out for me, and if he says this is how to do things, I'm going to trust that doing this, even in the short term if it seems like sacrifice, will bring good. And I'm going to believe if not doing it promises in the short term something good, I'm not going to believe it. And as you practice that, your faith deepens. It's as you walk with Christ. So if you're somebody that's trying to figure out Christianity, is Jesus credible enough? Part of the confidence that comes in the truth of it is in the doing of it. Learn and do, but return. <laughs> Don't do it apart from Christ. Do it in fellowship with Christ. And that's where we mature. That's where we grow. You know, that, that uh, classic movie that, that left enough of an impression that there are these remakes and these spinoffs, but the Karate Kid. So here you have this guy who, who wants to learn to fight, to deal with bullies. And there's this older guy that seems to be a mentor, uh, but, but, the, but the young student feels like he's being taken advantage of. He's, he's waxing the guy's car. He's painting his fence. And he thinks, well, you know, you're just like everybody else who's going to take advantage of me. But he finds out that in his wisdom, this guy was actually doing things that didn't make sense, but were preparing him. Now, the reason we love that story for a number of reasons, <laughs> there's a number of reasons we, we like that is because most of us are too used to the guy that's telling us he's benefiting us, but he just really wants us to wash his car. But is it possible that, that there's somebody there who's actually um, having us do things because he's wiser and better? That's the confidence that you have walking with Christ to say, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing arbitrary. I go out and face things. I don't know why this is happening. I need to trust him. And you look back in the larger blocks in time and you say, but the Lord is good. The Lord is wise. 
And that maturity is what eventually helps you to be discerning. It's through practice that you discern good from evil. And so um, why do you have your dessert at the end of the meal? Because it's the reward for eating your vegetables. I don't know, maybe. I, uh, I saved the best for last. And as an adult, I've had the thought sometimes, maybe I'm going to eat my dessert at the beginning of the meal because I know I'm going to eat the vegetables anyway. I'm committed to them. <laughs> That's what freedom looks like. Maybe dessert should go at the end of the meal. Maybe it shouldn't. That's what obedience to Christ looks like. As you mature, you realize, yeah, you eat your vegetables, you enjoy your dessert, and there's freedom. And maybe I still have the dessert at the end, but it's not because I need to eat my vegetables to earn my dessert. <laughs> you don't need to keep God's commands to earn his favor. You need to return to God to receive mercy and grace. And when you do that, you realize oh man, obedience is, is a vibrant way of protecting myself because God who cares for me is going to show me how to live. So don't spend 2022 without energy, hopeless and in despair, but, but have the trust that if you go out into the world and you'll live the Christian life actively, there will be grace for you to return. If you fail, you'll be okay, but he will be with you. And, uh, and just be obedient, be faithful, because he's wise and he's good. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do have this regular pattern of opening your word and, uh, and then going back to the world. And a lot of us recognize our stubbornness, our foolishness. We hear the same things over and over again. We think we know everything and we don't, or we get bored and we forget uh, that you're preparing us for something that we don't know that we're going to face. We make poor choices. All of these things are true. Lord, thank you that we have an obedient, perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your love and your mercy are such that we can come to you acknowledging we have failed you in some way this week, and yet with confidence, not because you love our failures, but you love us despite our failures, that there's more mercy and grace, and that you will, you will send us back into this world this week with an opportunity uh, to see what you would have us do and and to choose wisely. So help us, prepare us to do that. Forgive us our sins, teach us your ways, make us wise and mature us. And bless us this year that in this year we would experience goodness, that we would face difficulties uh, with faith so that through our obedience, uh, we bring joy to you, but also perhaps um, uh, somehow bless others through our own faithfulness. Help us to imitate Christ in that we pray in his name. Amen.